listening to Adjective New Music's podcast, Lexical Tones. I'm your host, Rob McClure. Honest. Balanced. Multidisciplinary. Ioannis Andriotis was born in Greece and studied acoustic music and composition in his undergraduate degree at Ionian University. He came to the United States in 2011 to pursue graduate studies at the University of Oklahoma with a focus on computer music and technology. He is passionate about audio recording and music production and is in the process of developing his own recording business. He is a member of the steering committee and an engineer for the New York City Electronic Music Festival and is currently teaching as a sabbatical replacement at the University of Oklahoma. All right, well, let's get going. Thanks for so, inviting uh, me, first of all. I mean, that's a great opportunity for yeah. me. Yeah, no problem. I was I was looking forward to seeing you uh, at she- we would be at Seamus right now, uh, but you know, things happen. Things happen. Things happen. So anyway, uh, good to talk to you like this. So we're going to talk about um, several of your pieces that involve electronics. So we'll be invoking the spirit of Seamus, um, even without being there. And uh, I wanted to first start off with your piece uh, Vosem for alto flute and electronics correct i think that i saw this piece first at uh splice at bgsu i'm i'm fairly confident uh when it was there and at that time it uh it was was it your wife or your fiance or your girlfriend or where uh, where is that <laughs> it's my wife you're right Alisa. your wife Alisa. Okay. yeah i actually wrote this piece for her and she helped me a lot composing the piece. That's something that I really like doing with performers. All of the pieces that I have done so far are usually a collaboration with a very specific performer instead of just writing a general piece. And I usually like to bring elements that the performer can do that are unique to the performer. So I will just sit down with them and say, what's good for you? What can you do that others don't? And I make those elements be part of the composition and in a way make it personal. So when you, I mean, what what was the impetus for this to start? Just like, hey, I play flute, you're a composer, let's, you know, why why haven't you written a piece for me yet? <laughs> well, first of all, it was the idea of that, that was my dissertation piece. So I needed to be done fast because, you know, about school and how everyone's just going to sure. be yeah, let's be done and be real people. So my wife was at the same place I was. I could ask her to play at any time. So it was a very good resource for me. I wanted to make a piece for flute. So here we are. And the idea was to emphasize some elements that are not usually so typical for flute writing. Like we all know flute writing and melodies and how things sound like that. But how about amplified voice through? the flute. That was something that was mm. very, very interesting to me. Then how about we create uh, granular textures out of rhythm, you know, elements that electronic composers do all the time. So it was a collaboration between what do you like, Alisa, as a flute player, and what can I do as an electronic composer, and let's make a piece out of that. And you're right, it was a yeah. splice, I think, when I first saw you, that I performed that piece, yes. And at that same splice, you gave a talk about the the system that you were 
you had developed or were developing in Max for kind of like dropping in effects modules. Does this piece use that same system? And if so, can you kind of explain a little bit about how that works in Max? That's very correct. That was the first piece that I actually used to test drive my system with Max MSP. So the idea is that as a graduate student, I really struggled with programming electronics. <laughs> Like, uh, as we all do, yes, yeah. I see you yes, taking yes. of course. And uh, the problem goes that, uh, for the most part, I may have an idea, but it will take like a whole evening to program that idea. And then by the end of the day, I realized, oh, that doesn't work. I just wasted an evening time just to do that. And mm -hmm. it doesn't work. Or you will be in a rehearsal and the performer would like to change some things and I was like, okay, give me a few days to be able to apply the changes and I'll come back to you instead of being able to do it instantly. So I started working for several years on how can I create a platform that will allow me to compose, perform, and program electronics almost instantly, like automatically. So the system can do things for me uh, automatically instead of manually. And that was part of my dissertation as well. So the flute and the research were actually my dissertation. And the way that works is like, as you said, I have a collection of modules that do process sound or they can manipulate fixed materials. And you literally just drag and drop them into the patch. And once you like what you hear, like the microphone going through the modules, you just hit save and Max does all of the rest of you. You don't have to worry about programming or routing cables. That's the, that's the oh. idea in a nutshell. Whew. I remember seeing that um, at Splice and I was just like, oh, that's a game changer. I hope that works. <laughs> that looks really good. Well, that's actually, it's going to be uploaded very soon for free to download. I'm not charging for that. I would like others that are in similar position. I did it for educational reasons to be able to download it. Actually, it's gonna be actually published by the Seamus Journal sometime soon in volume 28. Mm -hmm. And uh, when my website is up and running, which uh, you know, I've been trying to do that the few couple of months, <laughs> sure. uh, andriotismusic.com, then you can go there and actually download that for free and play. I call it uh, Live Electronic Sandbox. That's the name because I'm just terrible with names, but. I think it works. So in this piece, uh, what kinds of things are you doing with uh, with the live electronics? And are you are you also is this all live or are you also using some fixed media in there as well? So for my pieces, usually I like to break things down into three elements. What I call live electronics, DSP, the real time processing, which captures the audio coming from the microphone and process things in real time. And then there is the fixed electronics and the tape. Tape will be just ambient sounds, uh, sounds that don't try to imitate the performer or the electronics. Fixed electronics are also pre-recorded materials, fixed electronics, but they change based on the input signal of the microphone. So like, for example, the gain can be automatically adjusted based on the input signal. For example, mm -hmm. if I would like to imitate something that it's like, let's say, a delay, let's put it simple like that. You don't want the performer to play softly and the delay coming out really loudly. That doesn't match, right? It doesn't seem natural. So fixed electronics will have everything pre-recorded, 
but some elements like pitch, loudness, or when things are going to be executed, like triggering the audio file, are based on the input signal instead of just fixed electronics, which I say tape. So I'm doing all three of those processes for Vochem, and usually that's how I like to keep my electronics. Yeah, yeah, just just in into those different uh, categories, certainly. Um, in terms of the in terms of what you're doing live, like what kinds of things are you doing? You, I, you kind of mentioned uh, granulation in there, and what what other stuff? I'm a fan of delays. I love delays, and delays mm -hmm. can be anything between just a simple echo, all the way to actually create a very dense, rich granular texture, depending on how you use it. Um, there is a lot of delays that are going there, pitch shifting. Uh, granular, real-time granular, like actually capturing the performer and using that input to create textures, rhythms. Um, one of my favorite techniques is actually capturing the voice of the performer as he's whispering through the flute and use that to create rhythm, rhythm textures that at the very end of the piece just it's a support layer for the electronics to go on the, in the performer. For the mm -hmm. most part, that's it. And then I give a lot of emphasis on the production values as well. It's the way the signal flow goes, which is for the most part my experience through popular and commercial music, how to use uh, dynamics and EQs. So I'm not going straight out from max to the speakers. I usually bass things. And that allows me to tune my electronics to the room really fast without having actually to even open max just to give a better production like sound quality and more controlled sound. I mean, something I really love about this piece is that it seems like the effects on the flute are constantly morphing and evolving. You know, nothing ever really, the same textures or the same effects don't stick around for a long time. And I, th you know, it seems like with the, uh, the system that you've built, you know, you've kind of allowed that to happen in a much more in a much easier way than as opposed to if you're programming every single thing individually but i still think that it takes a huge amount of care and attention to detail that that not many pieces in this genre have so i really have to commend you for that well thank you very much appreciate that actually that's one of the elements that i like a lot um the idea of randomizing things for example let's say a delay right let's say we have um a 40 second section that I'm just going to be using just a delay. That delay, it's, it's going to be constantly morphing. It's not going to have the same exact values. And behind the yeah. scenes, to actually make it smooth, I may have uh, five or six exactly the same uh, combination of modules doing things, but you just randomly morph from one to the other. It's not like just the same delay. So it sounds like a delay, but there's a lot of tiny details going behind the scenes to give you that sense. Thanks for noticing that and actually being able to say yeah, something. Yeah. yeah, I really, it's part of what I like to do. I like to randomize things. I don't like to just have a fixed, steady preset and just go with that. Yeah, yeah. I think that, you know, the composers, especially when they start off in this genre, you know, I think a lot of composers are so kind of in awe of what the electronics can do. And instead of using the effects or processing or, or whatever 
using them to keep composing, they actually stop composing and allow the effect to do a lot of the like the musical heavy lifting. And, you know, we've all heard those pieces where, okay, here's a delay. Oh, here's some reverb. Oh, here's, you know, the, like it's just, it's, it's like I'm going to jump from one effect to the next and like kind of explore them. But the, musically, that's not very satisfying. I mean, wh- I think what you're doing is much more akin to, you know, how, how someone would orchestrate you know, very few orchestra pieces you will hear. I mean, there's certainly those out there, but very few are going to be like, now I'm going to play with the strings. Now I'm going to play with the woodwinds. Now I'm going to play with the brass. It's like, no, you you have all these elements that can make sound and have distinct timbres and you mix them all together in a, in a, a meaningful way and an intentional way to produce music as opposed to, well, here's what this does. Yeah, I understand, yeah. I, I'm with you, I'm on the same page. Of course, lots of uh, student pieces will sound like that. Like when you start, like yeah. you really, you use a reverb and you go from there. Like, wow, that sounds amazing, right? Just reverb. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's part of the process of learning. Then uh, what you touched upon, yes, I think that's part of, of also what I like to do with electronics. The electronics are not just there to create a duet in a way, but I think of the electronics also as means of uh, formal structure, Mm -hmm. like, you know, sections that are based on delayed or granular synthesis will sound completely different than having harmonizer going through a vocoder. So that difference also creates differentiation between sections and that creates form as well. Then another element that I like about electronics that's more an aesthetic, it's not a better or worse, of course, is that I like my electronics to blend nicely with the sound of the performer and that creates an overall cohesive sound. I know that other uh, composers and other schools of thought are like, no, electronics and then the performer, you should be able to distinguish between the two, like they have mm-hmm. should have a very distinct character. I'm just, I just don't like that very much. It's like everything to blend together and provide an overall cohesive sound so uh the title of the piece uh vocem you said you were you, you said earlier you with the, your system you were bad at titles but what why this particular title for this piece so vocem in latin means voices and since the main element i started with was the projection of human voice through the flute through an amplified flute flute that's uh, why I said watch him. Let's go with that, okay? Yeah, when you're when you're doing that, um, this is just kind of you are kind of using the flute almost as a almost as a resonant filter for the for the voice going very going good point. exactly yeah. through it or on top of it. Yeah, and as a matter of fact, uh, it's not easy to spot. But again, that's a detail. It doesn't really matter for the for most people, but. I spend a lot of time actually uh, layering reverbs. So there are actually mm. two different reverbs going just for the whispering parts, just to make those whispering parts stand out more than the electronics. So the reverb as well morphs and changes throughout the piece just to uh, support the flute or the voice 
or the electronics so the reverb also it's not the same it just keeps morphing yeah that's and that kind of happens right at the beginning of the piece where i noticed you were really paying attention to space and how you know you're using reverb to make something sound like it's in a big reverberant space and then that kind of slowly comes up and into focus and moves away and yeah i thought that was a really really nice part of the piece right at the beginning with that kind of amplified voice through the flute and then using space to really bring that in and out of focus in a way thank you very much yes exactly um that's what i said about music production like uh, people that have recording and do music production know very well how to use like a sidechain compressor on an auxiliary channel for the most part that's what it is uh, also mm -hmm. layering to different reverbs uh, like a more intimate close-up reverb just for the vocal to stand out and a more hyped reverb just for the ambience and making those resonances, resonances uh, stand out a little bit more. I just keep morphing and playing and exploring with sound. I don't have like a recipe. I just like exploring. And usually that's why I'm a very slow composer. It takes me several months before I'm able to actually start putting the piece together. I like mm -hmm. giving, yeah, living, giving a lot of time to the performer and the electronics actually make something that blends nicely together. You're kind of almost intuitively exploring electronics. I was wondering how you kind of move through pitch in this piece. Is there some kind of a system? Is it set theory or is it kind of intuitive and organic? Well, the pitch class set actually, I'm using a pitch class set and I'm mainly uh, going through pitches that repeat much more than others. And then, of course, there are some random pitches in there for uh, fast passages and things uh, like that there. But for the most part, I have a pitch collection that I use more than other pitches. Okay. And then that that's kind of going through the different transformations of set theory. Correct. And Yeah. Okay. And that also, cool. pitch materials also apply on the vocalizations as well. So the, the flute player is not only blowing into the flute and projecting but she's also fingering at the same time so it kind of creates a sense of you know having a, an undertone like a petal and that petal also transfers into the granular texture later on so that will be like the base of the granular texture so i'm trying to pitch things to provide a more cohesive overall structure in the piece if that makes sense yeah and i think i think that's just so important um because I'll, I'll just give a, a little example. Um, the the piece that of mine that was supposed to be played at Seamus um, is uh, I think you've I think you've heard it before. It's my oboe and and um, fixed media piece. Yes, I have. Actually, uh, I have some. Th yeah, that was piece. a that was a nice um, Anyway, in that piece, I I started out uh, working on that piece just working with this little like a uh, sample of plastic that I had recorded and I put that into logic and I was kind of exploring the um oh the what is it called the EXS uh, resonant filter banks or something like that and um I was kind of messing around with that and I found something that I really liked and I was like oh man this could work really well but with those with that filter bank you don't have as much control over pitch as I would want to. And 
for that piece, I was using a um, uh, a pitch field. So basically in every single octave, I had specific pitches that I was using that did or did not transfer to other octaves. So it's like, I'm being really, really uh, specific with my pitch choice in every other aspect of this piece. Why wouldn't I do the same in the electronics? Correct. So instead of like just saying, well, this is what I have, so this is what it's gonna be. Um, instead of doing that, I built uh, some patches in Max to so that I could load in my pitch field into resonant filter into the resonant filter bank, and then create uh, kind of random uh, random timbres in the filter bank. But they're all based on my pitch field. So that like that again, it's that fine attention to detail that you are you're taking like i'm gonna make this cohesive i i really appreciate that in this piece well i i appreciate it too thanks for saying that and it's exactly what you said max it's a great tool for doing exactly what you want to not being restricted mm -hmm. by a timeline in pro tools or whatever DAW you're using you have this freedom of doing exactly what you'd like to do yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think so often, it, I don't know if you've had this experience, but so often for me, when I'm kind of doing, uh, making new things in Max, it's always, for me, it seems like I find something in Logic that like some effect in Logic that I really like, but in Logic, I can't control it the way I want to be able to. So it's like, well, I'll just build my own, you know. Yes. <laughs> and it never it never quite uh does the same thing that logic does or, or the effect in logic does. It it but coming from that starting place, I can get to something that I was like, "Oh, well, well this is even better." You know, yes. this this is even hits closer to home to what I'm trying to do than what I was getting in logic. But it I I find myself kind of working in that way like being inspired by some other effect that I have very little control over and want more, and then ending up making my own. I think that's a very good way to use and utilize Max. Because that's kind of that's that's kind of how you were uh, how you were coming up with your your system that this piece runs in. Like, how can I do the things that I want to do, but much much quicker and much easier? Let me explain this. Actually. Yes, that's exactly that's exactly why I started building that system, the the live electronic sandbox. So what I'm doing now, the methodology is that I'm uh, loading my DAW. Usually that's Nuendo or Pro Tools, depending on my mood, and then I'm sending audio directly from my DAW into Max MSP because my audio interface allows me to do that through virtual IOs. Uh, I'm processing things in Max, and then I'm sending the audio back into the DAW directly through virtual IOs to print the electronics. So I don't have to constantly be exporting files and everything is time aligned. Mm -hmm. That makes things much easier. And then I have two options in Max. Either create my modules, as you were saying, which is fun, and but it takes time to do. And in sure. other cases, not for live electronics so much, uh, I really enjoy loading VST effects into Max for the simple reason that you can manipulate those plugins in ways that you cannot do in a DAW. So it's the same yes, exact yeah. effects, but Max gives you so much power 
to do exactly what you want with that, that plugin, and especially with randomizing parameters and just let it go. Show me what you can do and I'll choose what I like and just print it. Cool. Well, let's, uh, let's listen to this piece right now. So who are we going to hear on the recording? So that will be my wife, Alisa, Alisa Andriotis. And uh, this is a short uh, demo of the piece. I don't know how much you're going to be playing there. The whole thing. The whole thing. Oh, okay. That's great. Uh, just to mention, this uh, piece was selected actually to be part of the same CD that comes this year. Awesome. So that it's going to be out there as well. Watch them. Okay. Let's have a listen. Thanks for that.
So uh, let's let's move on to another electronic piece of yours. This is analog reminiscences, and um, this is a slightly older, actually not that much older. So we're looking back at like 2015, 2016, whereas uh, Vochem was 2018. Um, so what are your sound sources for this piece? It almost sounds like you're working with like cassette tapes or some type of tape player. I wanted to make a tribute piece for you know the vinyl and tape and all of these old analog warm sounds so the sound sources are exactly what you said actual cassette tapes and vinyl so i recorded sound like the cracks from vinyl music coming through vinyl um cassette players and i use these as resources to make a fixed media piece there are times when it actually seems like you're kind of playing with the tape as a material. 
is that did you kind of unwind or did you have tape or or am i just kind of imagining that well sometimes we may we as electroacoustic composer may be just kind of faking some things and making yeah. at least okay. believe that yeah but most of the sounds are actually actual cassettes and tape recorders and vinyl recorders i don't remember actually taking the tape completely out of a cassette i don't remember doing that if there is a sound like that but definitely i played a lot with, with pitch shifting there maybe to create that idea mm -hmm. if if that's the spot that you're thinking about i'm not sure which moment exactly yeah it might might be that i just had that general impression uh when i when i was listening to it there were a couple of times i think maybe you know you're doing something with granulation or or something like that to kind of create that um uh like physical manipulation of a of a of a material or anything. I, I see. Um, yeah, no, you're right. I remember now that you're saying that. That that's actually actual tape going through, but then I'm pitch shifting things. A nice thing I like mm. about uh, Nuendo that I'm using, like the Big Brother of Cubase, the same thing. When you pitch shift, you actually have the option for three algorithms. One of which is tape, and tape sounds different. Pitch shifting tape in tape mode sounds completely different than actual the other two modes. And that mm -hmm. gives you that illusion of tape slowing down. So that I think that that's what you're listening in. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, you you've quoted kind of several pieces in this. I'm assuming from vinyl, and yes. one of them is uh, Schubert's Ave Maria. And then you kind of have some other some other stuff in there. So why was why was that piece? And why that recording? Why was why were those uh, important for you to have in this? You know what? Everyone asks me about that exact piece whenever I listen okay. to that piece back. The honest answer is because I just wanted to put something there that, um, from my point of view, reminds me of older times. Mm -hmm. I I don't know why, but this piece and actually when it sound when you played back through vinyl and you know speakers and you hear the crackles reminds me exactly of what i wanted to like old like it's not so new sound like it's a piece that everyone knows but is kind of projected in an old manner and i like that idea if that works or not or if it brings questions i don't know but at the time i just thought i like that i'm just gonna put it in the piece and I just had time limitations, so artistically, sure, I, yeah. I don't have to give you. I don't. I really don't have a very good explanation artistically to give you here. But it was well. Honestly, honestly, it reminds me of um, Paulina Oliveros and her piece uh, "Bye Bye Butterfly." You know, because uh, I was reading about that piece recently, and it's just like you know, she set up her system of oscillators and tape delay and you know she had a turntable and uh when you know because she uses uh puccini's uh, madame butterfly in that like a, a substantial section of uh madame butterfly in that and the the way that she wrote about it oh it was just at hand it yeah. was in the studio yeah well, you know yeah. and it's like some but sometimes that's like you know, oh, well, I've got this. Will this work? Sure. 
you know, as opposed to some big, uh, you know, conceptual statement that's being made. Exactly. Uh, Oftentimes it's yeah. the logistics. It, it, for me, it was just the logistics. I just liked this piece. It was available there. It sounded good. And I just put it in the piece. I wish I had a more artistic way to express right. it. But that, no, no. In actuality, that's what it is. I just needed something to place there to make the piece happen. Sure, sure. Um, th and there are some other like kind of almost like documentary type sounds that are happening. Where did those come from? Well, that was more like of a political statement there, you know, the telephone era and uh, all of these uh, things we know about uh, Edison. So these are just uh, recordings I found online for from uh, public domain, like open uh, sources we can use. And I just wanted to sure. put there because in a way the telephone era and transmission and cables and wiring are part of uh, what we do, you know, just it's also part of uh, creating electronics and uh, the for me it was mainly the sound because I was very interested about sound that old telephone sound and the old wiring and how things are projected like how the human voice again is projected through that old medium that was interesting to me well it's it's that but it 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 also um you know the the sound of the recording really kind of puts you in a time and place but also the way that people used to speak is like the cadence of their voices and the, how the human voice sounds through those kind of more primitive recording uh recording methods it that is another aspect that really like dates it further back is like that the quality of human speech in that era that's a very good point i've never thought of yes thanks for bringing that <laughs> Yes, yeah, now I'm aware of that too. Thanks for that. That's that's a good point yeah. too. For this, I'm I'm kind of curious why you wrote this piece. I'm actually always curious about why people write fixed media pieces because they're the pieces are almost never in service of like a performer. You know, it's it's purely an expression of the composer, and you know, fixed media doesn't really do a lot of performing on its own. You know, outside of festivals or or some concert series that are kind of devoted to those. So I'm always curious why composers go to fixed media, what compels them to to write this kind of almost insular thing. For me, that will be uh, the possibility of treating sound in ways that whenever you have a performer, you just can't because of logistics. Whenever you have a live electronics piece, I'm always cautious about what is performable as well. I cannot just write anything, right? Or right, manipulate yeah. in a way that it's going to be so hard that it will just take the pleasure out or it's gonna, I'm going to need five months just to program that section. So fixed media actually allows me to do exactly what I want, just print it on, on my DAW and I'm done. So artistically and technically speaking, that's pleasing. Uh, another element of fixed media is the idea of exploring I'm one of the things that I like to do is rediscovering my plugins, like the delay I was saying earlier. Uh, that's the mm -hmm. time yeah. for me to play with my plugins and see what other options I have, what are the possibilities, right? And then, of course, the ease of the medium to be performable, 
like especially if you need a lot of um, performances for your CV and portfolio, it's very easy to send a, a fixed media piece out there and be performed, right? Everywhere. <laughs> I will argue yeah. though that, I mean, every venue sounds different depending on how you diffuse the piece that brings another element of performance. However, it's not the same as having an actual performer on stage. You don't have that glamorous uh, presence on stage that definitely feels completely different. Sure. Yeah, but I will say that, you know, you can, as a diffusionist, you know, you can still screw up. You know, I, there have been totally times when I take a, a, a fixed media piece into, you know, a place that has a lot of speakers. And sometimes I feel really good about how I performed it or how I diffused it in real time. And sometimes if eh, I just kind of fell flat, you know, so there is that aspect of performance totally but but when you just have two speakers it's like well press the space bar and let's go yes exactly that can happen too i don't know i yeah. like fixed media equally as live electronics for me live electronics is more exploring the possibilities of having two performers collaborating your performer like the the instrument and the computer manipulation in this case that i have like a flute and electronics and fixed media, it's more like, what can I do as a composer and a performer of my piece at the same time without having restrictions or limitations? I think, I think for me, fixed media is, I have to have a really, really strong concept or a really strong urge to do something in fixed media. Because... And I, I mean, I have, I, I have like four, four different fixed media pieces, but um, I'm kind of at the point where I need to, I need to have something that is very, very special that like compels me to work in that medium. So you need you know? some sort of motivation, like to start like an idea you mean or materials? How do you go about it? Yeah. I mean, I think both because, you know, when, <clears throat> when you're writing a piece for a performer, you're getting a lot from the performer. You know, you're getting, oh, well, can it be this length? And I can do this really well, and I'm going to perform it at this place, and it has this timeline. And, you know, so much of that is uh, dictated by a collaboration with another person, whereas fixed media often, you know, there is none of that. It's just you're doing it for yourself. And, yeah, I, I find that, I have very little motivation to to actually do things for myself unless there's like I, I I mean I think I'm the kind of person that really responds to a deadline. You know, it's like if it has to be done by this time, I'm going to get it done by that time and send it off to the person who needs it. Whereas fixed media is just like well, I mean, I could I could work on it forever, I guess. Yeah, and I guess. That kind of that kind of freedom is actually not good for me, I think. I'm in the same way, going to have a lot of time and kind of dangerous of not making things happen. <laughs> mm -hmm. Just because just uh, procrastination or just keep working on things. But I have to say yeah. something that I really love about fixed media, it's the production values can be higher than yeah. live electronics, which is, I yeah. mean, I'm a nerd with audio gear and all of these things and paying attention to my microphones, cables, you know, all of these things that go. So actually fixed media, it's a very pleasing template for me. It's a very mm -hmm. nice playground for me because I can actually 
being satisfied both artistically and technically with production values there. Not that you yeah, can with yeah, live electronics, but with live electronics, you have so much more to worry about that, you know, usually production values go like as a second option or choice. It's like, let's make this happen and then we will worry about all of the details <laughs> in sound, yes. Let's listen to this now. This is Analog Reminiscences. Thank you. 
Okay, so let's uh, close out with your piece, Negative Space. So this is another uh, acousmatic piece. And um, this is this is a really short one. And this was on the uh, Seamus uh, Miniatures project, wasn't it? 2013, correct. Yeah. So first of all, I love the energy of this piece. Thank you. And if you don't mind, I'm going to use this in my electronic courses for students who are writing like three minute pieces to show them this is how you do it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I will be very glad to be part of a textbook. Thanks for the for the opportunity. <laughs> but but seriously, like there is, I I often find that when like three minutes is a weird amount of time, you know, it's too little or too much both okay <laughs> it totally it totally depends on the material that you're putting into it and i personally i find that when students are wor you know working on their very first uh fixed media piece they tend towards stuff that is maybe easier to work with because they were like let's say they record themselves kind of messing around with i don't know some kind of material like paper or something like that and they will take these really long takes and just like throw them in to the, um, you know, to the DAW. And it's like, oh, well, that's cool. You know, that happens. That gets me like 30 seconds towards my three minutes or something like that. But in actuality, I think a lot of these uh, initial student pieces would work better if they were longer, you know, because three minutes is not a lot of time. But the the pacing of their material is such that it would require a longer amount of time. So it's like for three minutes to sound like a really intense and complete three minutes, it kind of has to be fast. It has to be energetic. It has to be moving. I mean, you know, it, if you think about like three minutes in, in terms of like a three minute pop song, you know, you're not going to get a slow love ballad that feels good over three minutes. You're going to get some like, you know, up-tempo, like uh, rocking stuff that will feel good and feel, I think that's the, that's the thing. It needs to feel complete over three minutes. And that's what I think, um, you know, your piece does because it's focused on this like really high energy, quick things happening. Once we get to that three minutes, it's like we have a natural, like we've had the whole form. We feel a natural like sense of completion. I think that's the key element there, as you said, the form, if it feels good, like structurally. That element of completion, yes, definitely for that. I love this piece. That was the that was my first piece that I ever felt that I was able to do something substantial. Like it was the, my first recognition, oh, you're on the same CD, good job after trying for a long time. So that was a very, very yeah. big step for me. And the nice part of that is that uh, the way that happened. It, I was back in Greece back then. Uh, the deadline was like the same day. Things were not working very well for me because I guess I am, I was kind of a perfectionist mm -hmm. in a bad way, but I have worked towards... Uh, being able to listen to details and sound and things as a perfectionist, but being able to control myself to have a stop point now, like that's good enough to get out. You don't have to tweak that forever. It's fine. 
So exactly. that was the case yeah. with this piece back then, that was like six years ago, that I wasn't glad with the way things were working. And I attempted to recompose the piece really fast and I didn't succeed. So what I did is I actually kept the first part of my first attempt and the second section of the second attempt, spliced them together, send it over, and guess what? It just worked out. So whatever, yeah. that was a very good lesson for me to say, oh, you know, what I, as a composer, perceive or think of my music doesn't necessarily translate. Maybe the audience listens to things through a different pair of ears. That that, that, different, that different perception or that different lens can often make you see your own music in a new way or hear your music in a new way. That was my first big uh, uh, lesson there. And from that point on, I started realizing the potential of not what I think my music is or what would I like my music to be, but also understanding the logistics of how do you submit a piece that can be accepted? How do the audience is going to listen through your piece? Because that's another thing that I learned through NISEMF. I've been uh, engineering for NISEMF the last few years now. And one of the things that it's nice about being a big festival is that you can observe the audience's uh, uh, how what's the proper word for that? Reactions. The audience's reaction, and see what things work and what things don't work. Right, especially in a festival. Yeah. <laughs> especially in a festival that the audience will listen to music like, oh, I mean, like four or five days at least, like all day long. Mm -hmm. You get ear fatigue. Mm -hmm. You get you get burned. Uh, so that was a great experience there on how to learn to compose in a way that is compelling for me and also it's kind of audience friendly in a way. And the other thing about this piece is that my strongest, my strongest um, element as a composer, it's miniatures. I love miniatures. That's what I can do best, I think. I like those short abstract ideas. I have no idea why and why this is happening. But give me uh -huh. things like 30, 40 seconds or more than a minute, and I love this challenge. It's like my thing to do. Yeah, I, I often find myself drawn to miniatures as well. I love that, like, this is one idea, you know? And I'm going to explore that one idea, and then it's over. I, that is so perfect for me. The very last gesture of this piece kind of says a lot to me about your music. It's it's a repeating sound that goes through about four timbral transformations before it finally kind of culminates in this closing gesture. It's fantastic. And I have to bring up again, like the attention to detail that you're employing here, because I'm guessing like you spent hours on this tiny little section of music at the very end. And it's very exposed and it. It just, but it's so alive, you know. Uh, I think a lot of times that uh, electronic music can sound can sound really dead to people because this kind of you know morphing and manipulation through time is not something that people will spend their time on, but you do, and I re I, I really like it. Definitely, I do like playing with uh, details in sound. Uh... I know sometimes it's not pleasing to others, but I just like breaking things down to like tiny, tiny portions and 
using different effects and processing in uh, every aspect and element of the sound. For example, like in a technical, let's say you have like a very sharp attack of a percussive instrument, whatever that is. I may just break that down and have layers of uh, manipulation, as I like to call them. Like the attack can be assigned to a multiband delay, for example, that each frequency band does something different. And at the same time, the resonance, whatever sustains, go to a pitch shifter or harmonizer. So I like to break down the different aspects of the sound and usually I think in terms of attack, the body, the sustaining part and the release. And I like to overlay lots of different kinds of processing for each part of the sound. Of course, that takes a lot of time and exploration, but that's how I compose fixed media. And that's why I'm slow again with composing. <laughs> I don't go fast <laughs> with that at all. Yeah, this stuff takes time. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, let's listen to it. So this is Negative Space.
Cool. So we've come to the last question that I always ask all the composers and artists that are on the podcast. Uh, how did you come to music as something that you wanted to pursue for your your life? You know what? I'm still wondering about that. <laughs> <I don't> <laughs> <laughs> that's that's an okay answer. <laughs> so um, when I started music and composition, initially I thought it was that feeling of satisfaction about making music but the more I realize about things I think it's not music it's sound that drove me into music mm -hmm. and that's why I mainly focus on electronic music and music production lately because what I really love it's sound I can literally just stay for hours and hours listening to a reverb tale or that particular delay over another delay just to distinguish the timbal characteristics. I'm just a nerd on that aspect. And the more I realize how music and sound go together, then that becomes more and more interesting. So as a teenager, as a student coming out of a music high school, going into college, I thought it was composition, like music itself, but it's actually sound and music going together. So, uh, before, before we go, can you tell everyone if they liked what they heard, where they could find more of your music to listen to, and also if they had like questions or something, how they could get in touch with you or find you on social media or something like that? Yes, of course. Uh, my website or it will be my last name, Andriotis, A-N-D-R-I-O-T-I-S, music.com or andriotismusic at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook by just typing my name, Ioannis Andriotis. I will be I-O-A-N-N-I-S. And the last name will be A-N-D-R-I-O-T-I-S. And for the most part, any message or email you're going to be sending me through there, I will just reply fast. Awesome. Thank you so much for doing this. Well, thank you very much about doing that. You make me feel uh, important. That's the, that's the way. <laughs> Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about adjective new music or lexical tones, please go to our website, www.adjectivenewmusic.com. <laughs>